All right, let's jump, let's jump into our message today. Uh, part two of our series, Play the Game. If you missed last week, check it out on our YouTube channel. Uh, we'll also have, I forgot to mention this, 21 Days of Prayer devotionals on our YouTube channel and Facebook. So subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can get those every single day and follow along with us. Um, but uh, I want to dive into our message today, part two of our series, Seek First. And, you know, I was thinking about, as I was preparing the message this week, I, I was originally going to call, I thought about calling the message a spiritual reset, because I was thinking about this time of year, <clears throat> oftentimes it's the time of year we reset some things. And I was recalling back in the day when I was a, a kid, I played, uh, anybody here, when you were younger, maybe now, you play Super Nintendo or Sega Genesis, come on, anybody in the room? Come on, you're older in the room, come on. Uh, I had a Super Nintendo, my favorite game was Madden Football. You know it. Come on. Uh, Madden Football. And, but here, here's, back in the day, here's what would happen. If I was losing to my cousin, who I normally played, uh, or my friend of mine, uh, back in the day, you couldn't play online, right? They had to be like right next to you. Um, and, or I was playing the computer. If I was losing, your boy would get up, and I'd press this magical button, gifted from God, called Reset. Anybody did that? Anybody want to confess sin today? You do that too? You're like, I want to keep a perfect record, right? I'm losing. Reset. And back now, the video game systems remember that. And then you sign on, they're like, hey, you were losing 85 to 2. Like back in the day, they didn't have that capability. So like, it was a race. But I thought to myself, maybe 2021, spiritually speaking, did not go how you had thought it would go. And sometimes in those moments, maybe beginning this year, you're thinking to yourself, I need a little bit of a, of a reset. Or maybe things went great, but it's still a time of year we sort of reset some things, put some things in motion, set some things in order as we approach this new year. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where somebody not only experienced a reset himself, but he reset an entire group of people in the land of Judah. Uh, before we dive in, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray that as we open it up, you would speak to us. We posture our hearts and our minds to receive from you, Father. It's in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. We're in 2 Chronicles 14. To give context, Chronicles, first and second, was written by the priest named Ezra. Uh, most of, uh, if not all of, first and second Chronicles can also be found, the content can be found in 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Samuel. Chronicles was written by Ezra to chronicle King David's reign uh, and the kings that followed. Uh, so you'll actually find uh, both in 2nd Chronicles and 2nd Kings, the life of the king we're looking at today is King Asa. Now why is King Asa significant? Why is he relevant for us today? Because King Asa followed his grandfather and father who did not seek God. They did, they did not put God first. And this is a word for somebody, perhaps some of you have some generational patterns in your family line that you, you don't want to pass on to the next generation. King Asa's life can be an encouragement to you because he breaks off the generational pattern of rebellion to God. And he pursues God and he actually resets the entire land of Judah to seek God first. And here's the blessing. The Bible says that actually the land of Judah experienced peace and prosperity. And just to give context, prosperity is being pushed forward by God. The hand of God, the blessing of God on your life. How many want in 2022 the peace of God and the prosperity of God in your life? I, I believe if you're here, you want that for your own life. 
I believe you're watching online. You want that for your own life. So King Asa, we can glean some for. And this is an encouragement as well. So previous generations in their family didn't follow God. Because Asa set some things in motion, his son Jeroboam continued it on to seek God. Now, if you study all of King Asa's life, he wasn't a perfect king. And I love the Bible because the Bible is full of imperfect people who serve a perfect God. And King Asa wasn't perfect, but King Asa served God. King Asa sought God. And we're going to look at his, a few verses of his life today. It says in 2 Chronicles 14, verse 2, that Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. May it be said of us, at the end of our life, we did what was right in the eyes of God. That's a prayer I have for my own life. He removed the foreign altars in high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, to obey his law and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town of Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. He built the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with them during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. There's three things that Asa did in these few few short verses, kind of set some things in motion for Judah, and I think it's some application for us today. Here's the first thing he did, and here's the first thing I want to encourage you to do. The first thing is you got to remove any idols in your life. Three things he did. He removed the foreign altars. He smashed the sacred stones. No, sorry. He smashed the sacred stones. He cut down the Asherah poles, and he removed the incense altars. There were three of the four elements of the Canaanite religion. The first thing he did was, was break up all of the false idols of their land. Some of you are thinking, well, Jeremy, how is this relevant? I don't have an ashra pole in my backyard. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, the sacred stones were essentially these, these, these statues erected to their little g-gods. Asherah was the fertility goddess. They erected these poles to her. And then the incense altars were these small religious buildings they had in their land. The first thing he does is he destroys it. He removes the idols from their land. And you may be thinking, Jeremy, we don't have idols today. We don't have Asherah poles. We don't have uh, structures that we erect for idols. But, but Tim Keller, pastor and author in, from New York City, he said this, wrote an entire book on idol, idol worship in our modern context, has relevance for us today. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. In fact, his book, called, his book is called Counterfeit Gods. Because of the idols of our culture, the idols of money, power, and sex. And he tells us how those are idols in our own culture. We may not erect statues to them and poles to them, but they are they are things that can capture our heart and our imagination. I like to say this about, about idols as well. An idol is anything that you pursue more than you pursue God. And what he does is he cleans out Judah. You know, in order to make room for something, you have to clean out some things. Right before the Christmas uh, holiday, Christina led our kids to cleaning out their rooms because we knew their relatives were going to give them lots of more toys and uh, we need to clean out some space so the gifts they could receive. you got to clean out some things in order to make room for some other things in your life. And here's what I, I want to submit to you. In 2022, are there some things that have taken some room in your heart that shouldn't have had room in your heart? Maybe it's an idol that's sitting on the throne of your heart. It's capturing your imagination. It's capturing your thoughts. It's capturing your pursuit that you need to dethrone as you begin this year. 
1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says that whatever we do, that we're to do things for the glory of God. Now, idols in and of themselves are not necessarily bad things, but a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing can become a destructive thing. I want to look at three common idols in our culture here uh, in, in America that I think uh, perhaps can, can bring some things to mind. And here's, I'm going to submit to you that perhaps one of these three or something else has captured your heart and your imagination perhaps a little too much over 2021. I think all of us have some idols we have to guard against in our heart. An idol can be success. An idol can be education. An idol can be money. An idol can be a relationship. Idol can be pleasure. Look at three common ones in our culture today. Here's the first one is pleasure. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says about the people of Philippi, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. Paul critiques the people of Philippi saying, you're too carnal, you're too earthly, you're too focused on the here and now, you're, you're pursuing pleasure. He says their God is their stomach and glory is their shame, their destiny, destruction. Pleasure can be simply, and we live in a culture, we're marketed pleasure. In fact, a study came out, they actually found that marketers were, have been marketing since a pandemic because we've been in pain. As a culture, we, they've been marketing comfort to us more than ever before. How many know we love comfort in our culture? Come on, we got a little, little snuggies. Come on, we, got, we, got, we love to be comfortable. I like to be comfortable. Come on, I thank God for the Starbucks mobile app. Come on, somebody. I don't got to wait. In a, I haven't waited in a Starbucks in years. I love grocery delivery. Thank you, Jesus, for whoever created Instacart. I'm going to shake that person's hand. Like we love, com- but here, here's the careful. Listen, pleasure, comfort in and of itself is not a bad thing. But if it becomes an ultimate thing, here's what it can look like is that all of a sudden you become consumed with your version of comfort. Maybe it's a bigger house. Maybe it's a new car. Maybe it's that next seat. That thing that you think, man, if I just have that pleasure in my life, that comfort in my life. And sometimes comforts can be as simple as this, is entertainment. Come on, binge watching your favorite Netflix show. It can be food. It can be alcohol. Here's what comfort does. Comfort numbs pain, which is why it's so appealing to us. But how many of you know there's only one person who can heal pain, and his name is Jesus? What we need is our pain to be healed, not to be numbed. What we don't need is just more comfort. We need Christ. I think I'm going to ask you is that are there any pleasures that have maybe creeped into your life that is consuming too much of your life? I remember having a conversation with somebody who they shared with me they were having a hard time having a regular kind of prayer and Bible reading uh, with, with God. And I said, well, talk to me about your life. What's your schedule like outside of work? And he shared with me that, hey, at night we watch, you know, several couple hours of, of Netflix, a couple shows. You know, again, nothing wrong with that. So I said, but I said to him, I said, hey, could you, could you maybe cut out 30 minutes of Netflix and reinvest that 30 minutes with God in the morning? And again, it's not so much about these, these religious behaviors as it is so much about prioritizing God over these other things in our 
life. Maybe for some of you, over these 21 days of prayer and fasting, fasting helps to kill this idol because there's something about hunger. You realize how strong your flesh is when you're not eating certain foods or eating food at all. Just to give a warning, forewarning, if you haven't fasted much before, the first week sometimes will be the hardest week because you're going to really feel it. Like, man, I, I missed that. Um, I was joking with the team earlier because we came up the elevator and we could smell the, bre- the, the eggs and the bacon. Anybody else smell the eggs and bacon? I had to rebuke the devil in the elevator. I was like, in the name of Jesus, get behind me. I need to tell them not cook breakfast for the next three weeks here. Um, but you'll realize how strong your flesh is, how strong your natural desires are, how much we love pleasure and comfort when we fast. Maybe it's putting some fasting, some media, some Netflix, some social media, some news. Let me say one last thing about pleasure. And please hear the pastoral heart here. There are some pleasures that perhaps you engaged in in 2021 that you need to not reduce or dethrone. You need to cut out of your life because they were sinful pleasures. Here's what Jesus says. These are the words of Jesus. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown in hell. What's he saying here? That sin is dangerous. Do not play with it. Cut it out. Maybe there are some things you've watched online you shouldn't watch in 2022. There are some lines you crossed in a relationship and you don't cross those lines in 2022. Some things you've ingested, some behaviors you've engaged in, some thoughts you've allowed to take root in your mind, you need to cut out of your life in 2022. Because James says that sin will ultimately lead to death. Cut those out. Again, please hear this. There's no condemnation. I'm just calling us to hire in God so we can experience the blessings of God. So pleasure, pleasure, maybe somebody's pleasure. Second is this, is people. Jesus said, if any, uh, anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? I have to hate my brother. Some of you are like, I have been looking for a reason to not like my mother-in-law. There it is. Come on, somebody. It's not what he means. The word hate is really an improper translation in the original Greek. It actually means to love less. Jesus is saying, do not love anybody more than me or you can't be my disciple. And and here's what I want to share with you. Sometimes a relationship, which is a gift from God, listen, can become destructive if it becomes a God. Let me help you kind of, how do I know if a relationship? Sometimes we live in a very child-centric culture. Now, there are redemptive things and good things from that. We should value, protect children. They're vulnerable. We should value our kids. But sometimes, and I've seen this. I used to work as a child psychologist. I would see it a lot. Is that sometimes what can happen, if we're not careful, we can end up making our child and their success and their future our primary goal of life. Can I say a word to parents? Listen, I think you should invest in your kids' academics. I think it's good for them to be involved in sports and activity. Can I tell you this? The most important thing that you can do as a parent is to lead your children to love God. To lead lead your children to have a relationship with Jesus. It will benefit them more than anything else because everything in this world is passing away. But children can be that. I've seen parents where their entire life is around their child. It's like, hey, they're three years old. (laughs) Don't surround your entire life around your kid. Value your kid, love your kid, honor your kid, but serve the Lord. Sometimes it can be our, our spouse or who we're dating. 
Maybe I've seen this in my 10 years of pastoring. I've seen this a number of times. Somebody will be on fire for God, reading the word, praying, fasting, seeking God. And they meet someone. And all of a sudden, it begins to pull them away from God. Can I just please hear this? If you are single, you want the person that you date to help push you forward in your relationship with God, not pull you back in your relationship with God. That you need somebody that you can, and be careful, if that person's pulling you away from the things of God, listen, let no other relationship pull you away from God. Your relationship with God is more important than any other relationship in your life. I think the last relationship that can be as well an idol, I know I'm stepping on some toes, it's very quiet in this church. It's okay, I'm wearing slippers, not steel toe boots, but I'm going to step on some toes. It can be our family. It can be our our extended family. It can be, sometimes we allow family in our life that that we don't set proper boundaries. I've seen this pastorally. I've counseled people. I've counseled couples. Listen, if you are a grown man, to not allow your mother to speak into your marriage. Come on, somebody. Like, draw proper, proper boundaries. Redefine some relationships. You can refocus on God. I know I made some people mad. I just talked about your mama in church. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Need to dethrone some people off the throne of your heart if they're not Christ. Lastly, is this so? So we have pleasure, people. Last idol, common idol, is pleasure. Sorry, position. This is our work. I know no one in here struggles with this one, so we'll go quick. That was a joke. We'll move forward. Ecclesiastes. No one in the Washington D.C. area struggles with working way too much. No one. No one. Ecclesiastes 2.21 says, For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. This is King Solomon, the wealthiest man in history. Very accomplished man. Work without God is meaningless, he's saying. Listen, work is a gift from God, but work makes a very destructive little G-God. Can I share transparently? I'm gonna, I, I had some idols I had to dethrone in my life over the course of my years and ones I have to guard against. The number one idol in Jeremy Burroughs' life that I've had to dethrone is work and achievement. I love to achieve. I love to get things done. Anybody else with me? You'd be honest enough, come on, in church to say, I love to. Now, you asked me 10 years ago, Jeremy, what do you do for fun? I work. What do you do at night? I work. What do you do on the weekends? I work. What do you do on holiday? I work. What do you love? I love to work. I love to achieve things. I love to get things done. And listen, that, that is a gift. Like, your personality is not a a sin, because I'm, I'm wired this way. I love to accomplish. Uh, but when it becomes the main thing, it becomes a destructive thing. Can I share with you transparently my own life? It hurt my relationships. It affected my health negatively. It affected my marriage. It affected my relationship with my first child. When she was really young, I was so consumed with work. I worked too much. And listen, it's not about changing your behavior. It's about the posture of your heart. I was looking for work for a sense of significance and value. And can I just speak this lovingly but directly? Some of you right now are trying to get significance and value from your work because we are culturally conditioned this way. 
Let me just give you, a con- uh, give you a practical context of how this is true. When somebody asks you, what do you do? We often respond to this culture, I am a blank. I'm a doctor. I'm a teacher. I'm a plumber. I'm a business person. Listen, you are not a doctor. You are a child of God who practices medicine. You are not a plumber. You are a child of God who practices plumbing. You are not a lawyer. Some of you have to leave it right now. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. You are a child of God who practices law. Your value, your significance, your worth is from God. It's never changing. Your significance will never change. When you stop working, when your education no longer has value, when your boss has no no more need for you, guess what? Your value in the eyes of God can never, will never change. And I'm so passionate because this wrecked my life for years. I was stressed all the time, working way too much. Dethrone that idol. It will destroy your life. Any of these will. Any of these will. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a doctor and a minister. He said this to a group of doctors at a conference years ago. He said, there are many of whom I've had the privilege of meeting, whose tombstone might might bear the grim epitaph, born a man, died a doctor. The greatest danger which confronts the medical man, this is clearly dated, or woman, is that they may become lost in their profession. Can I say this? This expands beyond medicine. This expands to every realm, every occupation. Be careful. It does not become who you are. Tim Keller said that if if our identity is in our work and not in Christ, success will go to our head and failure to our hearts. The enemy wants us to identify with our work, because he knows it will eventually destroy us. So what do we do? If it's pleasure, if it's people, if it's position, uh, if it's possessions, if it's whatever, like, what do we do if we have an idol in our heart? Here's the, the Apostle Paul's words, you flee from it. That word flee literally means in the English, or in the original translation, to run like you stole something. <laughs> like if you ever stole anything and you had to run from the cops, not that I ever have, Maybe one time, under the blood of Jesus, before I came to Christ. If you ever run, if you ever run from the cops, you run very fast. You run that fast when fleeing from idolatry. Please don't run from the cops, though. That's not what I'm advising you to do. Um, but that's what he's saying. You, you, you run. In Colossians, he says you put idolatry to death. You kill it. Like, whatever you got to do. So I'm going to share transparently. For me, I love to work. I still love to work. I, I love the work that I do, but here's what I've done. I have, um, I have boundaries. Like, I have three people in my life who hold me accountable. Three people who ask me hard questions about my work life to make sure I'm resting. Uh, one of them is a counselor. Like, I talk to my counselor about it. I have boundaries. Can I tell you, one of the boundaries for me is I take a Sabbath. There's one day a week I don't work at all. For the first two years, it was hard for me. I had a hard time to, like, get into a mode. Now I look forward to it every week. It's like, man, I get, to, I get a chance to say, man, how good is our God? He's like, hey, take a day off. Come on, somebody. We've got a good God. He's like, take a day off. Don't work yourself in the ground. It's a gift from God. I have boundaries. I have boundaries of when I work and when I don't work. I, that's what I need. 
I think it's a healthy thing if you have an idol. First, you got to submit it to God and say, God, I'm dethroning this. I'm putting you on the throne of my life. But then you got to put boundaries in your life to get healthier. I'm, I'm a much different place than I was years ago, but I still have these things in place. I still have accountability and boundaries. And I think that's something that you should do. I had somebody who told me they had an issue with money. Money is a thing for them. So they have accountability around their money. They have boundaries. They have people who can look into their finances. If money's an issue, give someone access to your account. I know it seems very intimidating, but I'm telling you, it might very well save your marriage, save your life, to have someone hold you accountable because the enemy knows these idols will eventually implode in your life. Put the idol to death. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Come on, somebody. Remove some idols from your life. Here's number two. It's going to get better, I promise, is renew your commitment to God. The next thing he does is he, is he, he sets, he says that he, he leads Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors. That word seek literally means to refer, to resort to frequently. As I read that this week, yeah, I thought about, because, you know, we, we've been home with our kids, of course, two weeks of winter break, and then this week, because of the snow, thank you, Jesus, um, this morning my kids were like, do we have school tomorrow? I was like, listen, I'm dropping you off regardless, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to have a school door. Listen, y'all need to stop playing. <laughs> Sorry, pray for me. I see a counselor, okay? Um, <laughs> but I said, yes, you got school tomorrow. I'm going to drop you off first thing. Uh, I love my kids. But so this past several weeks, if you were to walk in the Burroughs household, here is, a, here is a common thing you would hear in the Burroughs household. Maybe some of you can relate to this. Is that you would hear uh, one word very frequently followed by a request, typically. Here's what you would hear. Starting off first thing in the morning. Mom, what are we having for breakfast? Mom, I'm hungry. Mom, I can't find my toothbrush. Mom, where are my pants? Mom, he hit me. Mom. Mom, 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 mom. I'm ministering to some moms right now. You feel it right now in the spirit. Come on. And it's not even 837. And they've said mom 87 times. Right? I came across this meme online of Jurassic Park. I think we have it. It's funny. Uh, it, <laughs> me trying to distract my kid from, to give my wife a break. That was true, real footage of the Burroughs household this week. Um, but... <laughs> As a dad, I'm often like, hey, I exist too. Listen, I'm going to confess a sin to you. Don't judge me. However, um, and I probably really haven't repented because I still do it, but I'm working on it, is that when my kids, some mornings they get up to give Christina a moment, they'll say, where's mom? I was like, she left. And I'll leave it like that. <laughs> then they look panicked. And then I tell them an hour later, she's still here. I just needed to give her a moment. So um, forgive me. Uh, but I had this thought this week that in the same way that my, our kids are constantly referring to Christina and resorting to Christina, I thought the Lord speaking to me this week, Jeremy, I need you to continually seek me, continually resort 
to me. God, I'm overwhelmed at work this week. God, I feel stressed about the state of our culture. God, I need your peace. God, I need your wisdom managing our finances. God, I need help in this meeting. God, I need grace for these children. What would it look like in our life we were continually resorting and seeking God? Can I be honest for a moment? I'm I'm being real honest at this point, but Jeremy's, Jeremy's default is to try to figure things out and make it happen. If I have an issue, I try to make a plan. Anybody else with me? I try, to, I try to figure it out. I try to make it happen on my own. And then when I exhaust my resource, God, I need your help. You know, we wear this, I have a bracelet. You can grab one outside if you want at our guest service area. It says pray first. Um, and I have it as a reminder that prayer is supposed to be our first response not our last resort. Like, make your plan. Do what you can. Consult experts. If you're sick, go to a doctor. Do all those things. But can I just encourage you? Before you go to the doctor, talk to the great physician about healing. But before you, you phone a friend, talk to the friend who will never leave you or forsake you. I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm just saying talk to the one who is sovereign over it all. Talk to the one who can do what nobody else can do. Talk to the one who makes a way where there is no way. He makes a stream in the desert. He's the one who parted the Red Sea. He's the one that tore down the walls of Jericho. Can I tell you, the same God who did miracles in the scriptures wants to do miracles in your life. Will you seek him? Will you resort to him? Here's the words of Jesus. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. As I was studying for the message this weekend, I felt the Spirit of God tell me, and I feel like, for maybe some of you in this room, the reason you haven't seen God move in certain situations is because you stopped asking Him to. You stopped knocking on the door. And I understand. It gets disappointing sometimes, right? You're like, I've asked, I've asked, I've asked. I'm still not seeing it. I thought the Spirit of God just highlighted the Scripture. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. The words of our Savior is ask, it'll be given. Seek, you'll find it. Knock, the door will be open. Let me give two caveats, though. Um, God is not a uh, supernatural vending machine, Uh, meaning we don't ask Him for something, and then He gives it out. And we're like, yes! Um, His definition of good and his timing may be different than yours. Anybody learned that already? <laughs> Things may not come in the package you were expecting. Uh, but trust him. His ways are higher than our ways. Let me say it this way. His ways are better than your ways. His ways are better than my ways. Let me give one other caveat. Because I think as you begin to seek God, that what you begin to realize is that over the course of time, this is what maturing in Christ, I think, can look like personally. It, it takes some time to get here. It took me time to get here. But is that what you'll realize over the course of time, and I pray that you realize this sooner than later if you have not, is that actually when, when in the Old Testament, Abraham was seeking God, if you remember the scripture in Genesis, he actually tells, God, he actually tells Abraham, Abraham, I am your great reward. 
And here's what maturing in Christ looks like. It's when you realize that actually the true blessing is not what God gives to you. It's actually the very fact that God is with you. What you actually realize, the blessing is his presence. That the blessing is him being with me. And here's my hope. I hope that God answers your prayers. I hope you see his miracle working power in these 21 days. But above all else, I hope you realize the gift of God's presence. I hope you realize that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. That's more than anything else that's what I want. Because can I tell you, that's the one thing that's constant. That's the one thing that will never change. The conditions and circumstances of our life are beyond our control, but he will always be with us. David, King David, while running from Saul, who was attempting to kill him, penned this verse in Psalm 3410. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Can I tell you, the idols of our life overpromise and underdeliver. Pleasures of life, the comfort of life overpromises joy and doesn't deliver it. But can I tell you, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. That, that actually, that our position, our work, it overpromises significance and overdelivers stress. But can I tell you that significance comes from God? Acceptance comes from God. Unconditional love comes from God. Perhaps the very thing you have sought through an idol, it can be found unconditionally and in an unending nature with God. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Let me get real practical. In First, Second Chronicles 15, it says that Asa's heart was fully committed to God. That he, he, he was not a perfect king, but his heart was fully committed to God. You know the word commitment in, in the, 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 the dictionary? It, it, the second definition was that you, you restrict your freedoms for the sake of something else. When you can make a commitment to something, you restrict your freedoms, right? You commit in marriage, you make it a covenant. You restrict your freedoms, that you're going to be with one person. Like, there, there's commitments that you make uh, that you, you restrict your freedom some for the sake of that thing because you believe this thing is better for me. Can I tell you, Jesus said when you seek first the kingdom of God, all of the other things will be added unto you. Therefore, it's better for you. But there's a restricting of freedoms when we follow God. When we truly follow God, it's not that we have to do things. It's that we get to do things. That we see, say no to doing certain things, and we say yes to other things, not because we have to, but because we get to because we're following Christ. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, but when you pray, he says three things in Matthew 6. He says, but when you pray, when you fast, and when you give. The implication is as a follower of Jesus, your life would be full of prayer, fasting, and giving. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. That when you pray, there's a reward that comes with prayer. Now, let me get real practical for a moment. For those who are thinking to yourself, maybe you don't have a regular rhythm and routine with God. Some in the room, you already have this. Keep doing what you're doing. But if, if you do not have a regular routine where you connect with God every single day, can I encourage you? Listen, accomplish all the other goals you want to do this year, but make number one to seek God. Make number one to have a regular, consistent time with God. Add into that gathering with your church family as a part of that on Sunday. Sundays can be your, that can be your seeking God, seeking God with your church family, things that are biblical. But let me give you a framework. This is not the framework, this is a framework. 
for seeking God. If you don't have one, you can grab this and take hold of it, but do what works for you, but have a plan. And here's a simple one. It's a daily meeting with God called the first 15. You give the first 15 minutes of your day to God, which includes five minutes of worship. Um, there's something powerful about worship, I'm telling you. That's why we start the service with worship. Uh, we have a 21 days of prayer worship playlist on our Spotify. It's on our resource site. You can grab it. Use that if you don't know what to listen to while you're starting your time with God. Then five minutes of Bible reading. Again, for some of you, you already have 45 minutes, an hour a day. Keep doing what you're doing. You already have a routine. Do what you're doing. But if you don't have one, this is one. Um, you can follow along in 21 days with us going through the book of Acts. Every day on YouTube and on Facebook, we will have a 21 days uh, devotional that you can follow along with. Um, and let me give you just simply, uh, I, I've taught this before, so I'm going to go quickly through it, is the SOAP Bible reading method. I use it when I read Scripture. And my advisement is, uh, I think it's a great way to read Scripture if you don't have a way to read Scripture. Um, that's simply this. You start with the, the passage, that's Scripture, S. Uh, it's called the SOAP Bible Reading Method. The O is observation. That's simply, like today we read Acts chapter 1. Observation is what stands out to me about this passage. A is application, which means, so what? What now? Like, what do I do with this? How do I apply this to my life? And then P is prayer. I prefer to journal it. I journal it every day. I journal my soap method. I journal my thoughts. Um, it helps me personally. I think it's a great practice. Um, and then for prayer, have a structure to your prayer. We have these prayer lists. Man, have that. Uh, there's a prayer guide on our website that gives you some structure if you don't have a structure to your prayer time. Um, but man, grab this and take hold if you don't have one. I love what Joyce Meyer says about spending time with God. She says, spending time with God is the key to our strength and success in all areas of our life. Be sure you never try to work God into your schedule, but you always work your schedule around Him. Come on, Mama Joyce, preach to us. That's a good word for Mama Joyce. Here's number three. Respond to God's word. So remove the idols, renew your commitment, then respond to His word. We see that he actually commands you to, to obey the laws of God. And, and we see all throughout Scripture there's, there's a connection between seeking God and obedience to God. Psalm 119 says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That word sin means to miss the mark, to be off track with God. To, that when we read the word, it keeps us on track with God. Let me say it this way. If you want to know the will of God for your life, which I presume if you're here in the room and online, you do. If you want to know the will of God for your life, read the Word of God. Romans 12 says this. If you want to know what the word of will of God is, then renew your mind with the Word of God. Let me say this. If you do not read the Word of God, this might seem like a strong statement, but I believe it's true. It's in Scripture. It will be near impossible for you to know the will of God for your life. Because, and let's, let's say this, if you don't read the Word of God, it'll be near impossible for you to ever hear the voice of God for your life. Here's why. You will mistake something else for the voice of God because you don't know what He already said. You don't know what He's already said in His Word. To know what He already said, then it familiarizes you with His voice. I remember when I was in high school, true story, I did not read in high school. Um, I could read, I just chose not to read. I played Madden football. Um, so, um, anybody else, uh, I don't know if they still have them, but back in the day, they used to have what they call cliff notes. It was like a novel, but they'd have like a, like, 
one twentieth of the size, and you could read that and get the gist of it. Like I never read Moby Dick; I just read Cliff Notes. You know, um, I barely read the Cliff Notes. Um, but thank God, because of college, I, I fell in love with reading, and now I, I, I love to read. But back in high school, I didn't read anything. So I would go into class, and my English teacher knew this. Like, I never read Moby Dick or Of Mice and Men or Sherlock Holmes. I never read any classics because I just I didn't want to. So um, uh, don't be like me in high school. Um, but I, I remember my, my English teacher knew so, so she would often call on me. Like, my English teacher was a gangster. She, like, knew it. She's like, I know Jeremy doesn't read the book. She's like, Jeremy, so what did you think? What did you think about Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck? And I'd be like, you see, what had happened was, uh, you know, I'd stumble and make up something. And she knew it. And I looked like, like a fool. Um, I was confused. I had no idea what they are talking about. And let me just say this. If, if you're not reading... As I was confused for not reading the book, if you're not reading the word, you will be confused about who's doing it. So I encourage you, get that soap, work the reading into your life, and then do the word. Psalm 119 later says this, never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I put it, my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I'm closing with this scripture. The worship team can come. But it says that I have... Put my hope in your laws. It says, I, I will walk in freedom because of it. You know, the Bible says, for you will know the truth. Jesus says this, you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That there's freedom in knowing, and there's freedom in doing the word of God. The, the, the hope is not that we would just read the word. We actually put it into practice. It reminded me, the, just this morning, actually, I was reminded again. Um, as a parent, maybe parents can relate, I often am instructing my kids on basic life skills. One that I've really been working on the past, you know, two months has been cleaning up after yourself. Um, if you ever wonder, do children naturally come out the womb cleaning up after themselves? At least for the Burroughs children, the, the answer is overwhelmingly no. Uh, it has to be taught over and over and over and over again teach our kids when they are, are you know, um, getting ready, the breakfast is done, I'll say, hey, clean up your area, or after dinner is done, clean up your area, put your plate away, and uh, so most of the time, even this morning, true story, they didn't do it, so I had to correct them, I said, hey, remember, what would he say, put your bowl away, clean up your area, and uh, so I had a moment, though, over the holiday break, my, my oldest was with my, my mom, and she said, she said, Dad, I was at Nana's house, and after breakfast, I heard your voice in my head. I said, well, praise be to God. She said, I heard you tell me to clean up after myself, and I cleaned up after myself. We had a little praise break in the Burroughs household that morning after I heard that. You know, as a parent, you teach these things, and all of a sudden, the 87th time it clicks, you're like, there is a God in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Now, she still won't do it in our home. That's a whole other story. <laughs> but she's doing it elsewhere. But why do I teach them to clean up after themselves? Because cleaning up after yourself is just a life skill, right? If you don't clean up after yourself, it'll cause tension in your marriage. If you don't take responsibility for yourself, it'll create problems at work in the future. So I'm thinking that I'm raising not just children, but future adults who will live a life and have relationships and work. And 
And I want to make sure they have these life principles. They can live a, live a good life and, and live the life that God intended for them. So I'm teaching them a basic principle of taking responsibility. Now, the power is not in them hearing dad teach them. The power is them doing what dad has asked them to do. Listen, the power is not just in you hearing the word on a Sunday, not reading the word first thing on a Monday. It's doing what it says. John Stott, a theologian, said this, Greatness in the kingdom of God is measured in terms of obedience. Of obedience. Let me give you just as I close. I like to always end with a practice. As we end a message, what's some way to apply all of this? I know I gave lots of application. But if you're here and you do not have a regular routine with God, a daily meeting with God where you pray, you read the scriptures, can I just encourage you? Set that for 2022. Can I encourage you? Listen, and if you miss a day, if you miss two days, don't beat yourself up. God is not mad at you. It's not religion. But just get back on the horse the next day. Just get back. But have a routine. Grab the one that I just shared with you if you don't have one. Um, here's second. If you already have that regular routine with God, can I give you an encouragement? I want to explain the heart behind this. That's fully commit to a local church. If this is here at Catalyst, fully commit here at Catalyst. Here's what I mean. For 2022, get fully connected and planted in a local church. That means we launch groups in about three, four weeks. Get involved in a community group. Life change happens in the context of relationships. Go through our next steps process. Get connected. Begin using the gifts God's given you to serve other people. Fully commit. Here's my challenge to you with both these, with, with all the applications. If you commit this year, I believe your life will be better for at the end of the year. If it's not, come talk to me afterwards. But, but if this is in your home church, if you're in town or you're visiting, like this is in your home or you're not looking to make it your home, that's okay. But man, fully commit to a local church. We'd love for it to be here. And then lastly, if you're already like, man, I'm reading my scripture, I'm praying, I'm, I'm, I'm fully committed and connected. Man, I want to challenge you. Jesus gave us the, the, the commission to go forth and to make disciples of all nations. Become a disciple maker. Can I give you a practical way to do that here at Catalyst? Is lead a spring community group. Again, there's multiple ways you can do that to, to make disciples. But that's one way is lead a group. Like, lead others in growing in their relationship with Christ. Uh, you can find application online, find more information on our website. But I want to encourage you, this year is seek God first. Regardless of where you are in your walk with